0: It's an exciting day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm beginning a brand new teaching series. And here's how I want to introduce it. Here's how we want to get at it. Back in the day, back in seminary, we had a friend and we would give him a hard time because he was a, I'll try to put this as kindly as I can. He was a miser. He was, he was thrifty. Uh, I don't want to say cheapskate. Um, you know, he, when we called him a cheapskate, in fact, and this is such a seminary way to put it, he would say, no, I'm omni-frugal. <laughs> uh, anybody know a cheapskate? Here's the most accurate way to ask this question. Did anyone marry a cheapskate? <laughs> Well, in, in the case of my seminary buddy, it was probably a good thing since we were all dirt poor in uh, seminary. And usually, uh, I suppose that's, that's kind of harmless. I don't mean clipping coupons, you know. But when, when you're checking in at the hotel lobby and your spouse is digging through the couch cushions in the lobby for change, <laughs> cushion mining, uh, usually that's pretty harmless. But what if it's not? Uh, do you know about Henrietta Green? They called her Hetty Green. She died over 100 years ago. Listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most miserly person, uh, her nickname, the Witch of Wall Street. Estimates of her net worth range from 100 million to 200 million in today's dollars, anywhere from 2 billion to 4.3 billion with a B dollars, making her arguably the richest woman in the world at that time. She was said never to use heat or hot water. She had one black dress and she instructed the laundress to wash only the dirtiest parts of the dress. Just wash the hem to save money on soap. She didn't wash her hands to save money in hot water. Rode in an old carriage. Uh, her food was pies that cost 15 cents. What, what, somebody said that she spent half a night searching her carriage for a lost stamp because it was worth two cents. And saddest of all, when her son Ned broke his leg as a child, uh, she went uh, all around New York City trying to have him admitted to a free clinic for the poor not willing to pay for health care. His leg did not heal properly, and after years of treatment, it had to be amputated. And you read that, and you go, are you kidding me? What a shame to be that rich, and yet to live so poorly. Now, let's apply this to our spiritual lives. What would it look like to have every spiritual blessing in Christ, but to live as a spiritual pauper? What do I mean by that? It's possible to imagine a Christian who has all he or she needs in Christ and yet constantly looking to have those needs met elsewhere. You know, To know that they are worthy and approved in Jesus Christ and yet constantly worried, what will people think? Desperate for the approval of others. To know that they've already been included in Christ, but longing to be on the inner ring, that great secret. Oh, I know young people that will say, look, I'll be whoever you need me to be. Just, Just pick me. Just make sure I'm included. I'm not saying these things aren't important, this need for acceptance. But in Christ, you already possess the spiritual blessings that so many of us are striving so hard even willing to sin to obtain. I was talking to a young man who's really struggling, pouring out his heart, and he said a question that really struck me. He's a believer, and everything, you can imagine, everything in his life right now is going wrong. If you can imagine it, I promise you, it's going wrong. And this is what he said to me, Pastor, when can I get some peace of mind? And this is what I said to him, and I I feel like the Lord gave me this. I I hope he, I was not being trite. I wasn't trying to be, um, Uh, uh, in any way dismissive, but when he asked me, when can I have peace of mind? I looked at him right in the eyes, and I said, whenever you want it. I wasn't being dismissive. I wasn't being trite. What I was trying to remind him was, if you're asking me, when are my circumstances going to be better? I don't know. But when you're asking me, when can I, as a blood-bought child of God, have peace? It's available right now, in the midst of this storm. When can I get peace of mind? Whenever you want it. It's yours in Christ. You say, where where would you get that? That is an audacious thing to say that every spiritual blessing is available to you in Christ. Where would you get that? I would get it in the Bible book of Ephesians. That's our brand new series, Ephesians. That's my way of unveiling Ephesians. There's no need to be a spiritual cheapskate, there's no need to be a spiritual miser in terms of spiritual things because of what. God has done for us in Christ. And in the book of Ephesians, in this first chapter, will you turn there? We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. You know the guy that wrote it is the apostle. Paul, and he is breathless in his excitement to explain to this church that he loves all that is theirs in Christ. Paul has spent two years preaching and teaching in Ephesus. He was pastoring those people. You know, that that he felt like he knew God had called him to carry the good news of the gospel around the world. So he does it. It leads to his arrest. And now he's in a Roman prison awaiting his trial. And he writes to this church at Ephesus. And of all the ways he could write the letter... He does it backwards of what a lot of people think a religious letter would be. Uh, let me explain. Uh, most people, when they think about God, they think about the Bible, they think about the church. Uh, oh, by the way, the vast majority of people actually believe in God. A lot of them just think he's sort of hands off. You know, they're sort of practical deists. Uh, God made everything. Yeah, I know, we need to, I know we need to please the man upstairs, they might say. But uh, by and large, it's mostly what I do. That's what kind of drives life. Um, oh and the number one thing about God they would tell you God really wants you to live a good life make good choices not bad choices he wants you to be kind and loving and well-behaved and follow the rules and so when you ask them, hey what's in the Bible they would say oh I know it's like the 10 commandments and then like a lot more it's kind of the Bible is like the 10 the, 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 it's, it's God's rule book and he wants you to follow the rules. And he said, okay, well, then why would you follow all God's rules? Because if you do, then he'll give you therapeutic benefits. Uh, a Christian researcher named Christian Smith describes the faith of young people as, by and large, moralist, uh, de- moralistic therapeutic deism. The idea, follow all the good rules. Uh, God is mostly hands-off. And if you do, he'll give you therapeutic benefits, meaning he'll, you know, you'll have peace of mind and you won't have anxiety and, and, and you, you know, you'll be good. Paul says the gospel is actually blows all that out of the water. No. For a lot of people, they think if you'll do, in fact, a lot of religion, whether you're irreligious or religious, it's based on if you'll follow all the rules and if you'll do all the good things, then maybe, just maybe, God will accept you, and best of all, you get to go to heaven when you die. The gospel says, no, 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 you got it all backwards. And that's why Paul, when he writes this letter, he doesn't start at all with any imperatives. Do this. Don't do that. I, I urge you this, I urge you that. No, he starts with indicatives. Here's what God has done. And after three chapters of here's what God has done in Christ, here's what God has done, then in chapters 4 through 6, Ephesians is neatly divided, 1 through 3, 4 through 6. In 1 through 3, here's what God has done. This is the gospel. The gospel's not good advice. It's good news. This is not what you need to do. This is what God has done. Then after three chapters of that, the book turns on a hinge. Therefore... I urge you walk worthy of the manner in which you've been called. Some commentators say the first three chapters are the wealth of the Christian. Then the last three are the walk of the Christian. Or if you like, the, uh, the warfare of the Christian at the end with the armor of God. So that's how it's all laid out. There's lots of ways people express this point. My favorite is this. Some people think, all right, I got to get back to God. I got to get back in church. My family's got to get back in church. We need to clean our act up and then get back to God. I always tell them, no, no, no. You don't clean your life up and go to God you just go to God. He'll clean you up. It's grace. It's unmerited favor of God. Let's get right to it. Chapter 1, verse 1. Right out of the gates. You'll see what I mean. He's right out of the gates talking about grace. Paul, uh, we sign our letters at the end. Sincerely, Tom. Uh, They sign their letters at the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Boom, right, out of, right, right there. We're not even one verse in and Paul is already calling Christians saints. You ever think of yourself as a saint? Most of us, when we hear saints, we go, no, 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 because we think of the dictionary definition of saint, someone who is super holy and super dead. that has been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. And so quickly we say, no, 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 that's not me. In fact, I, I, I hear people say often, uh, hey, listen now, I'm no saint. Usually they say that when they're about to justify what they did. I'm no saint, but I, you know, right? Uh, but the New Testament says, no, a saint is anyone set apart by Jesus Christ. The New Testament definition of saint is not at all the dictionary definition of saint. Listen. If he saved you you're a saint that's why you'll notice one of my favorite greetings for people maybe you've heard me call you this I'll say good morning Saints good morning I can't tell you how many times I'll say hey Saints I'll see somebody in the hall morning Saints (laughs) you're talking to me and then I have my moment and it depends on if I think the person can take a joke or not there's that moment of discernment if I've ever offended you it means I just guessed wrong but in that moment, hey, good morning, saints. They go, who, me? If I think they can take a joke, I'll lean in real close and go, believe me, I'm just as shocked as anybody. <laughs> but it's not my decision. If you, Listen to me clearly. If you are a Christian, then you are a saint. If you are not a Christian, then you are an ain't. That's right. There's only, there's, but there's only two classifications. There's only two categories. Saint just means one of God's children. That's who you are. You may as well lean into that and walk in a manner worthy of that, because that in Christ is who you are. It's who you are. Saint means holy, hagia, set apart. And then in verse two, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to belabor this point. I just want, and I rarely do this. I I'm, 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 I'm breaking my own rule today because I want to show you the Greek words for grace and peace, only because some of you know people who are named this, and I want you to see how sweet these names are. The, the, the word for, Greek word for grace is the word charis. And so some of you know people named charis. Their, their name means grace. Isn't that beautiful? And uh, the uh, uh, Greek word for peace is the word irene, and you may know someone named Irene. The, the, the beautiful names, uh, uh, grace and Peace. Uh, Just a couple things. Again, I don't want to belabor it, but why I'm pointing this out, note that um, uh, Paul is here in the book of Ephesians. Paul is talking about how God has united Jew and Gentile believer together as one. So it's interesting. He takes a more common Greek greeting, grace to you, and he combines it with the Jewish greeting, shalom, peace, and he puts them together, grace and peace. Isn't that beautiful? And also notice what's beautiful about the order. Throughout the New Testament, Paul will say grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. He'll never say peace and grace. That order, listen to me, that order is always grace to you and peace. He never says peace and grace. Do you know why? Because you'll never have peace until you receive his grace. It's his grace that is foundational to your peace. So there's an order of operations there Paris to you and Irene to you, grace and peace. It all comes back foundationally to his grace. It all hinges on grace. What Paul does next is this incredible poem of praise to God, and it's actually one sentence. I won't try to read it in one breath. It's broken up in English, but verses 3 through 14 is what one commentator called a 202-word monstrosity but once you see it's not monstrous at all it's glorious it's one big long run-on greek sentence paul is breathless in describing the blessings we have in Christ. And even if you don't get every nuance of every point, I'm going to show you, we're going to walk back through some blessings you have here. Try to take it all in. All these riches are yours. You don't have to be like heady green in a spiritual sense. Here is, saints, to those who are born again in this room right now, this is what's yours in Christ. Listen to this, and I'll read it all in one go. (sighs) Starting in verse 3. lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's all yours. All from God. Did you see that? Blessed be God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at all that we have in Christ and look there at the end sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit in this triune blessing. Whew. Uh, I, here's the here's i'm worried a sermon series on Ephesians might go a little long um, not that my track record would indicate that, and my fear is that this thing could go on forever so I, here's what I want to do here's how to get a handle on this um, I, let, let's just Walk back through, let's just do five. Five spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. I want to give credit to a pastor named Greg Ma. He pastors out in California and he breaks this outline into five spiritual blessings. And I'm gonna use his same outline and also I'm gonna use one of his illustrations because it was so good. I'll give credit to him when I use it in just a moment. But but his outline, he would say, Here are the five spiritual blessings. I'll give you plenty of chances to jot these down if you don't get them all at once. But in Christ, let's just look at these. You are chosen adopted, redeemed, included, and sealed. Don't worry, you'll get lots of chances to get those. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, included, and sealed. Let's look briefly at each one. In Christ, you were chosen. This is the first blessing, and it is a massive one. In Christ you were chosen. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Let me ask you, why did he choose you? Is it because you are holy and blameless? No. He chose you to make you holy and blameless. You know what it's like to be chosen? Every person I have ever met, without exception, at some point, and usually this comes from their childhood, every person I've ever met at some point has felt the searing pain of not being chosen. So you went to the gymnasium door, and you scanned that list, and you scanned it over and over, and you'd look back again thinking maybe I missed it, and you went over and over until it, uh, it finally sank in. Your name is not on that list. You tried out, you gave it your best shot, you've been cut. Everybody else got asked to the prom, and you laughed it off, and you said, well, who wants to go to that silly dance anyway? but you've never forgotten it. The final interview came down to you and one other guy. And you got a very short email saying, we're going a different direction. They went with him. She looked at you and said, she thinks the two of you would be better off as friends on Valentine's Day (laughs) and now she's happily engaged and you are not what's that feel like Eugene Peterson has a great line he says uh, we don't usually take it lying down not at first instead we come up with what he calls compensatory strategies for some people they Internalize it. For other people, they become bullies. For some people, they live lives of painful insecurity. There are a lot of people who spend their whole life trying to prove them wrong. And ultimately, what they're doing is justify their existence. Why? Because deep down at their core, they have felt the searing pain of not being chosen. So, what would it look like for you? They're living like spiritual misers. You understand? What would it look like for you this morning? What would it look like for you to know in your heart of hearts, Ephesians 1, 4 is not just true. It's true for you. That that's true. That he chose you. Even before the foundation of the world, what would it do to those old wounds? You know, anytime you preach through Ephesians 1, people can get really tripped up over the mystery of election. Election. Oh, they see this word predestination, and because it has been misused and abused by some, misunderstood by others, turned for some into some intellectual debate, they've utterly missed the point. They've missed what's here. So obvious, good news. You say, well, you know, when you talk about he chose me, what what does that mean with, does that mean I have free agency? Look, this... Let me read to you the Baptist faith and message on this. This is what our church takes as a statement of faith. Many Southern Baptist churches take this as a a statement of faith. And, um, oh boy, that print is small. And, uh, And let me just read to you their section God's Purpose of Grace. Now, look at this. Election is the gracious purpose of God according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means in connection with the end, it is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness and is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes humility. There it is right there. You say, well, I don't understand. How can can we say that God has chosen us and yet we have free agency? In my little mind, that doesn't make sense. Mine neither. In my little mind, it doesn't have to make sense. Because I'm not God. See? Here, this is a, to turn this into some intellectual debate is to miss the good news. The good news is that this whole salvation thing didn't start with you. It started in the heart of God. Why is that good news? Because that means before you did anything to earn your salvation. In fact, you didn't do anything. He chose you before the foundation of the world. You say, why is that good news? Because if you didn't do anything to start this journey, if you didn't do anything to earn your place with God, then it's not up to you to keep it. It, Say it this way. If he's the one who got you saved, then he's the one who'll keep you saved. Here's why this matters. If it hasn't happened already, there will come a day when that old accuser is gonna come after you. If it hasn't happened already, there will be a day when old Satan is gonna have words of condemnation for you. He's gonna remind you of all your sin. He's gonna remind you of all this wickedness, and he's gonna build a case against you. And in that moment, you got two choices. You can either receive that voice of the accusing, condemning enemy and walk around under condemnation and accusation, or you can stand on the truth of Ephesians 1, 4, and you can tell that prosecuting attorney, look, you may be right, but I didn't choose him, okay? He picked me. So if you've got a problem with me, you're going to have to take it up with my master because I belong to Jesus. And you'll stand on the truth of Ephesians 1, verse 4. You're chosen in him. Let that heal that old ache in your life. Well, we should move quickly. In Christ, you are chosen. Here's a second. It gets even better. In Christ, you are adopted. Adopted. This comes from verse 5. Look, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So much rich imagery with the idea of adoption. J.I. Packer, in his famous book, Knowing God, says adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, even higher than justification. I read that, I was like, I remember like, what did he just say? This is J.I. Packer. I'm saying that adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, even higher than justification. And his next sentence in that paragraph is, this may raise some eyebrows. He says, they're all important, and justification is primary, because without justification, we don't get adoption. He says, but here's his point. Justification is the legal declaration by which God the judge declares guilty sinners as innocent in his sight. Let me just say that again. God as judge declares guilty sinners as innocent because of Jesus Christ. So justification. Adoption is justification plus that judge is now father and he brings you in to live with him you see how that's higher salvation rescue is just that it's rescue you know you're dangling out over the cliff and i you know somebody cuts you loose or you're in a trap and they set you free and send you on your merry way but adoption is now you come live with me you come into my house invited into the house of god not just saved and set free you know not just some distant judge in the far flung courtrooms of heaven but now you can call him father mm. well the, the the a great price was paid you know if you understand adoption There's so many New Testament themes you'll understand if you understand adoption. Paul picks up on adoption over and over again. I know in the case of international adoption, there's often some common elements. There's a flight to a far country. There's great cost. There's a judge's verdict. And you see how these themes play out. Did not Jesus come the ultimate distance from heaven to earth? Was not the ultimate price paid? And has not there been a, a judge's verdict? You are now a child of God. It doesn't mean that immediately you change all your behaviors. It means now you're in this new family. You get to learn how this new family acts. I was reading an illustration of this. This pastor was talking about how when he was a child, their family brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger. Uh, His parents had died from a drug overdose. There was no one to care for Roger. And so the folks raised him as one of their own sons. He says at first it was quite difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home because he had never been in an environment that was free of all this uh, uh, drug use and, and, and the chaos of addiction. And every day, he said he would hear his parents say to Roger, no, 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 that's not how we behave in this family. See? Or, no, 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 you don't have to scream or fight. You don't have to hurt anybody to get what you want. That's not how we do things here. See, you're learning this whole new way of life. No, 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 you need to show respect. That's how we do it in this family. Not overnight, but over time, Roger changed. And he asked, did Roger change in order to become adopted? No, because he was adopted, there began a change in his life. Well, oh, and just one more thing about adoption. That means, church, we're family. I'm your brother, Tom. Sorry. You're stuck with me. Like, for eternity. Ponder that. Uh, So, why would he do that? I mean, isn't that, ponder that. Some people say the church is like a family. False. The church is a family. It's not like a family. We're adopt. We are spiritually brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not always easy. You know that old poem. To live above with the saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. To live below with the saints we know. Well, that's another story. You, you, know, you know that one? You don't? Yeah. Um, so why did God do that? God has a very colorful family. Um, here's why. God gave us the church so we could practice love. I'll say it again. God gave us the church so we could practice love. Okay. In Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are adopted. In Christ, you are redeemed. Redeemed. To redeem means to buy back. Look at verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, your forgiveness is conditional on how gracious he is. And, and apparently his forgiveness comes from the riches of his grace, which is to say limitless. Redemption, you were redeemed. In the New Testament, the word redeemed is used, and it's used in this way. It means to buy back. To buy back. Earlier, I mentioned Pastor Greg Ma, and he told a really funny story of this, partly because he, you could see the nostalgia as he was telling it, and I think we're about the same age, so I appreciated the fact. He talked about when he was a teenager, his uh, church youth group was going to start a praise and worship band. Brother Chuck, praise and worship band. And these two teenagers, what did they have to go get? He, they had the guitar. What they didn't have was that Fender Squire bass. Can you picture it? Oh, Fender Squire. This is not an expensive bass. I'm sure some versions are. This is not one. This is what you would expect. A youth group in a garage, saving all their allowance and all their money, and they go buy a Fender Squire. He showed a picture of it, and it's his buddy Mike is playing the bass, and he said, man, we were just, Lord, I lift your name on high. Our God is an awesome God. Nobody? I'm all alone? Okay. And so he, you know, and he's just, you know, wailing on that thing, and they're using it as an instrument of praise and glory, and the youth group praise band is great gets a call as their teenager's tragedy. Somebody had broken into the garage, and of all the things they'd stolen, they'd stolen a bunch of stuff, one of which they stole at old Fender Squire. And so over time, they were somehow able to overcome that. And, you know, of course, they grew up, and they got, they got jobs. Uh, Janie quit, Jody got married. Should have known we'd never get far. <laughs> and then eventually, they, they've had other bases. You understand? Now they got real jobs. They got real money. They're able to purchase actual instruments. He gets a call. Uh, About two years ago, and from a frantic Mike, they remained friends all these years, and he's in a pawn shop. He said, You're never gonna believe this. Sends him a picture. There's that Fender Squire. And he goes, What'd you what'd you there it is? What'd you do? Mike, he said, I never forgot Mike's answer. I bought it. (laughs) He goes, But it's yours! (laughs) Like, you didn't like file a police report, you didn't go to the pawn shop, you didn't worry. He goes, I didn't want to fool with any of that. I just wanted my bass guitar back. And he said, and then, he said, to this day, he has lots of better sounding instruments, but he refuses to play anything except that Fender Squire, which is now an instrument of worship back to God. Now, if that's not, you see why I stole his illustration. That's, uh, he's, he's exactly right. The pastor that told that story, he's exactly right. That's a model of redemption. Sin had carried us far away, and we were in the clutches of the evil one. And not at any, this is no pawn shop dollar bills. This is the precious blood of the only begotten Lamb of God. You weren't redeemed with silver or gold. You were redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb. And at that price, he bought you back. You say, but yeah, you were made by God. You already belonged to God. Yeah. And he bought you back. And now you know what you are? You're a fender squire doing what? You are an instrument of his grace. You're showing the world his grace. You're chosen, you're adopted, you're redeemed. That's what Mark 10:45 means. Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and Jesus said and to give his life as a what? Ransom for many. You were bought back. Don't miss this. Chosen, adopted, redeemed included okay chosen adopted redeemed and included these are two very little but very important pronouns i want you to look for the we and then the you in verses 11 and 12 and 13 look at the we look at the you here's verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Who's the we? Paul is talking about his own ethnic identity. He's talking about Jewish followers of Jesus. Jewish followers of Jesus. He's saying, think about it. When Jesus came, he came as a Jew. He came as one under the law. He, he, he came to redeem those under the law, right? He came and he called together a Jewish band of followers, these disciples. He was the Jewish Messiah. And so there's a sense in which he says, look, verse 12, so that we, we were the first to hope in Messiah, we might be to the praise of his glory, right? We're, we're, we're the first, okay? So that's the we. You say, well, that's great, but what about those of us that are not ethnically Jewish? Paul says, honestly, he's, Paul says, that's the mystery. That is the mind-blowing mystery. And the more Paul went through his Old Testament and the more he read the promise to Abraham that through you I'm going to bless the nations, the more he read Isaiah about how Isaiah the prophet had this vision that one day all the nations would be blessed through Israel, it dawned on him. God made this promise to Israel, not so that the blessings could be wrapped up in ethnic Israel, but so that through Israel Messiah could come and ultimately bless the world. So that's the we. And Paul says, you're not going to believe this. Verse 13, in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you trusted in him. That's what that word believe means. You also, you who are Gentile. Pastoring in New York, we had uh, many, many members that were ethnically Jewish, right? So they, they grew up. Uh, ethnically Jewish, and then they would receive Jesus as their Messiah. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. And it was incredible to to see their life change and, 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 and to rejoice with them. And then we had folks that came from Gentile backgrounds who would receive Jesus as their Messiah. And I was trying to, I think I was preaching through Romans, probably 9 through 11 or something. I was trying to illustrate this for the congregation. And I said, okay, look, this is a Jewish story, right? The whole thing, the Old Testament. And so I said, raise your hand if you're Gentile. We'd raise our hands and say, repeat after me. I am lucky to be here, right? And I'd say, okay, I'm lucky to be here. And I would say, now if you're Jewish, you know, God has saved We'd do this. And so the name of our church was New Hope Christian Church. But I suggested really to emphasize this, we should change our name from New Hope Christian Church to New Hope Jewish and Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah Jesus Together Church. <laughs> but we couldn't afford the sign. So we just, but that's really the heartbeat of it, isn't it? Jewish and Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, grafted in together, church mm. included. Hey, one more. In Christ, you were sealed. You say, I, I felt like there were more. There were more. We're, we're going to leave some on the table here. There'll be, other, there'll be other sermons. There'll be other weeks. I'm telling all this to myself. In Christ, you're chosen, adopted, redeemed, included, and sealed. Look at, that. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You know what a seal is... Uh, In ancient Rome even today there's wax seals but you would authenticate your property can you imagine you've got a nice scroll that belongs to you so you seal it or even they would do this with livestock or you know they they put their seal on it so so they would physically mark this is my property so he's saying you're marked by the Holy Spirit well but I don't see any physical marks on you those of you who are saved and marked by the Holy Spirit sealed by the Holy Spirit what's the what's the physical mark that you carry well If you're outside in nature and you walk past an apple hanging on a tree, it doesn't take a scientist to be like, that right there is an apple tree. And if you walk by one and there's an orange dangling from that tree, you think, well, that's an orange tree. And the Bible says you're you're marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And people begin over time to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, growing, fully orbed and symmetrically, in your life, fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's a down payment. Like your assurance of who you are in Christ and the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a down payment. This, 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 who is a guarantee is interesting in verse 14. Guarantee is the Greek word uh, arabone, and I only point that out because it's still used in modern Greek. Arabona. Modern Greeks uh, are so excited to show off when they get arabona. Do you know what an arabona is? It's an engagement ring. That's the Greek word for engagement ring. And how beautiful is that? See, when you, when you wear an engagement ring, right, lady wears an engagement ring, what, what's she saying? I'm not married yet, but I'm looking forward to that day. I'm not married yet, but I, listen, I'm off the market, right? I'm not, not going to date anybody. Why? Because, see, I'm, I'm, I got... It's a, it's a guarantee of, of what is to come. It's a down payment, Right? Think about that. Your assurance with the Holy Spirit. We're not in glory yet, but he's going to walk with you. Every day he's going to lead you. Lead. Precious Lord, lead. Take my hand. I need thee every hour. All that stuff. That is a, a guarantee so that we know what's to come. The Holy Spirit is our pledge, our assurance. So let's, let's put it all together. You are chosen, adopted, redeemed, included, Sealed. And if you need a way to remember this, you can just take the first letters C H A R I S. And now we're back to grace. It's all grace. Every gift you and I have, we can't take an ounce of credit for it. It's grace. So then who gets the credit? The whole thing is what? To the praise of His glory. Let's pray. God, it's all grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. I pray for any Christian in here who does not fully grasp yet that they're chosen or adopted or redeemed or included or sealed or any, any of the other innumerable blessings that are found in that passage in Ephesians. Lord, would you drive this truth so deep in our hearts that it drives out insecurity, it drives out all fear, and it heals that old ache. Your mercy, your grace, it's like a, like a, like a medicine, like a salve, soothing. Lord, thank you for that truth that you have in Christ redeemed us. I pray for anybody who has heard all this and they're pondering and they're thinking I pray Holy Spirit you would right now do what only you can do you would bring a sinner to new life you who make the first move you who initiate salvation's call you who are the good shepherd and you go out looking for that lost sheep you don't just wait for it to wander home You who are right now pursuing sinners, God, would your kindness lead them to repentance today? And if they don't know you, would today be that day to receive you? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.